Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Hey, how many people love the BOGO, the buy one, get one free? Everybody like that? Yeah, come on. Listen, today I'm going to give you two for one. You're going to buy one and get one free, meaning you're going to have be here for the same amount of time, but I'm going to give you two messages. Does that work? Is that good? So, hey, last uh, Monday night we had Vision Night. We just really talked about the more that we believe God had for us. I just want to share a little bit of that um, for those of you guys who missed it. How many people were here for that, right? Yeah, a lot of you. Good job, man. It was an incredible night. I don't want anybody to miss out on uh, kind of what happened. So I want to give you a brief snapshot of just some vision things where we believe God's leading us into more. You know, over this last year, uh, we uh, kind of experienced a new day. We believe God gave us a heart transplant. You know, you see some letters in the lobby called Elevate the Name of Jesus. For us, it was more than just some letters in the lobby, but it was just a new mission, a new heartbeat, a new way that we see the world. And, and as we've just kind of laid the foundation over the last year of what God wants us to be about, the clarity of vision that we have, the, uh, man, the conviction from God and the capacity for resourcing, we believe that there is more for us. And so as we began to pray through and look at what more could look like, we kind of found our way back to the Great Commission, which is what Jesus gave us. And you'll see the words on the screen. You know, you, you may be new to uh, faith, and if you're new here, and we have a lot of people who, are, who maybe have never gone to church or just getting back to church, and so some of this may feel new to you. We, don't, we always want to talk God in the language that everybody understands. And one of the, the command that Jesus gave us was called the Great Commission. Sometimes it's a little irritating, if I'm just being honest, because it makes us do a lot of work, but it's not not really irritating. Jesus said this. He said, go and let's say this together. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I am with you always to the end of the age. End of the age meaning this never stops. That we're to go and to make disciples. It's what churches do. If a church doesn't make disciples, it's not a church. It's a charity. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a non-profit. This is what a church, this is the mission of a church is to make disciples. And so we want, always want to be about making disciples. So last Monday night, we talked about three different ways we were going to do that. Now, we did unleash three worship songs that were amazing. And uh, one of them we sang today, and we'll be unrolling the rest of those out over the next few weeks. But three things that we want to be about. You know, one of the things that we really believe is, is that a movement is in the hands of just everyday people. Movement is the hand of everyday people. So how do we have more for every day, for everybody? You know, this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and uh, just celebrate that as a holiday. Obviously, him being one of the great uh, civil rights leaders that we are aware of. And, and uh, one of the things that's unknown about Martin Luther King Jr. isn't just his great speech-making ability, which was incredible. Uh, he's an incredible speech maker. But if you haven't had a chance to visit uh, the museum, his, his, uh, the museum that's downtown, you need to go do that. But as I've been down there a couple of times, one of the things that amazed me about him wasn't his ability to write speeches or to give talks, talk to large crowds of people, but his involvement in the everyday, ordinary training of volunteers. Because this is really what helped the movement have legs and to keep going. Is that he was able to train them in how to have sit-ins and how to be peaceful and all these things that seemed ordinary, but they're really what carried the movement. So we know that Christianity has always been a very pragmatic, boots-on-the-ground movement. And the way that we engage that, and the more for you as, a, as an individual, is through what we call equip. Is what we call equip. 
And so how do you become a disciple? It's through equip. You know, you can go to a bookstore, you can get lots of stuff, lots of workbooks, and there's all kind of, there's thousands of volumes. It's like, I'm overwhelmed right now. What do I do? And so we wanted to boil it down to its simplest terms. So that's what we've done. So we want everybody to go through equip. Now, some of you went through version one in the spring or this past year. You've been through version one. You were our guinea pigs, Okay. Like, you were, we were just trying it out on you. Now we've uh, upgraded it. We've improved it. We've had some opportunity to see what worked, maybe what did, and more some ways that we can make it more effective. We want everybody to go through Equip to have just the basics of what it means to be a disciple that makes disciples. Because I think that at the end of our time on this earth, for those of us who do follow Jesus, we want to know that we helped other people follow him better, don't we? We want to know that we had influence in their lives to help them do it better. This is what Equip's going to do, and it's going to help you with more personally, but it's going to help us move the ball down the field. The way you get involved in that, be it group launch next, um, next Sunday, we're going to launch groups, and groups will start with some basic uh, uh, talks around sermons, and then a few weeks into it, we're all going to go through Equip together. So number one is we believe God has more for each and every one of us through Equip. You know, the second thing about the Great Commission, it says go, and it says go everywhere. It says take this message everywhere, globally. And we began to pray through, like, what does that look like for us? And so we identified a place in Belgium and in, in, in Europe. Belgium is uh, just kind of in that uh, over, does anybody know where Belgium is, by the way? It's over there just north of Libya, is that right? Uh, no, it's not. It's north of France. Um, Belgium's over just across from England, north of France. And so Belgium is, it was kind of, would have been at the heartbeat of the Reformation. But right now, Belgium is less than 1% Christian. This should alarm us, right? Let's, let's get alarmed just a little bit. Because we all know that that part of Europe is headed in a trajectory that we're on. They're just ahead of us by probably 50 to 60 years. Okay, they're heading the same trajectory that we're on. This should alarm us. And so Belgium is considered an unreached people group. Imagine that. So put it this way. If we had a bus out front with 40 people on it, technically, statistically speaking, there would be three Christians out front on that bus. A charter bus, 40 people, three Christians. If you wanted to, if you wanted to find one Belgium Christian, you'd have to have five buses full out front. So one out of every 200 people. So we have a partner on the ground in Belgium that we want to go into Belgium and start a church. <clears throat> we're going to obviously start with one to see what God does. But we're going to identify a church starter or planter, as it's called in church language. People plant churches. I'm not sure how that started, but that's what, that means ch starting churches. And so we're going to move into Belgium. We've got a partner there where we can go and we can have trips. We have a place to stay. We can go and help uh, get this thing off the ground. And what we learn there is going to help us here. Because they've already been through all the secularization that we're in the middle of going through. So, number one, equip. Number two is Belgium. Now, one of the things is when you go internationally, when you go globally, somebody always asks the question, well, what about here? Like, what are we doing about here? And so, we knew that that was a legitimate question before we got started. So, we just began to look around areas in our city that we thought could use a church like ours. And not that our church is special, but our church is special, could use a church, that's funny, um, use a church like ours and maybe didn't have access with maybe a 15, 20-minute drive to get to our church. So we identified an area that's a fast-growing area down in the Sandy Springs perimeter area. In the Sandy Springs perimeter area, it is, it is of the top 30 fastest-growing cities in the United States. Sandy Springs is the only one in the top 30. Uh, Sandy Springs is uh, in the top 10 of places for millennials to live. And not only that, it's the home of more Fortune 500 companies uh, per capita than anywhere in the United States. 
pretty amazing. You know, you have UPS, Newell, Rubbermaid, some other, a lot of the companies that are housed down there. And so we began to look and explore that area. And so what we want to do in the, uh, by August of 2020 is we want to launch a campus, a Stone Creek campus, a Stone Creek church with our vision and our values in Sandy Springs, that perimeter area. We believe that we can have influence, that we can reach millennials who are leaving the church at an alarming rate. And that we, yeah, come on, we can... And then we can have impact. So just think about what it was like for you to come to know Christ, for those of you who have. Think about the transformation. Think about the hope. And we need to take that to other people. And we need to be about the great commission of going and making disciples. So you're going to see us unroll that over there. And we just ask you to pray with us. Now, I know a lot of questions like, how are we going to do that? So one of the things that we want to do is if we were going to go down there, we wanted to find the person that we knew who was, you know, had the best gift mix and was an entrepreneur, a pioneer, a starter, man could communicate, knew how to build teams. And so as we began to look, look around, the person we identified to be able to go and launch that campus is Joey McLaughlin. Many of you already know Joey. Yeah. And I know most people clap at that because they're glad to see him out of here, but no, I'm kidding. Totally joking. He's, what's really cool about this uh, particular method of the Great Commission is that it's still a Stone Creek Church. Joey will still be part of our leadership team, still be part of our communications team and all that kind of stuff. But he'll go to be able to launch that, take somebody with him so he can train them up and teach them how to do that too. And so we'll be going in that direction over the next few months. And so here's what the more is we believe for us is on the imminent horizon. More is more in terms of more for us individually as we go through equip, more for us globally as we look into Belgium and potentially some other areas, and more for us as a church as we launch another campus um, down in the perimeter area. And here's what we all need to do, man. We all need to pray together. We all need to pray together and lean in. So, so here's some steps for us to experience more. First of all, 21 days of prayer. So one of the reasons Joey had us pull out our phones and do that stupid flashlight thing, that was fine, but the Instagram live thing, um, jokes, uh, was that every day at 1230 on Instagram, live we'll have one of our staff will be on instagram live just leading through a five minute prayer time so that every day at your lunch break or wherever you are you can pull it up on your phone and you can just pray with us we can all pray together one of the powers of technology is that we can all pray together uh, at 12 30 every day for the next 21 days starting tomorrow i will meet you on instagram live tomorrow at 12 30 to lead us through that time also we just want to le lean into a time of fasting as a church you know, fasting is when you do without something for a period of time so you can focus your attention on God. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to fast every, 24 hours every Monday. So, so what this means for me is that tonight I'll eat dinner and after that I won't eat anything until tomorrow night, Monday night, 24 hours, two meals technically. If you're thinking, I don't know if I can do without eating breakfast and lunch, Stephen. You know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. If you're thinking that, then you are a prime candidate that needs to fast for 24 hours, okay? Um, so 24 hours, and we see this in the Bible that people fast in order to focus their attention on God in order to really understand and, and not let our appetites be in control of us. And so we just want to everybody, now some of you may like, I can't do that. Maybe there's one thing you could fast from for 21 days. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's some specific food, maybe it's coffee, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's sugar, maybe, maybe there's just one thing you could do for 21 days. We just invite you into it as a church. We believe God will move in power as we begin to just pray and fast and focus our attention on him. And then the last one is just to read through the New Testament in 60 days as a church. And you can see on Bible.com there's a plan there that will give you map out day by day by day by day. It's roughly four chapters you know, it's not enough to be overwhelming and it's not too little to not be challenging. So we'll all read four chapters together. So imagine when there's, you know, you know, 1,500, 2,000 people reading through 
60 days together and we're fasting and praying and asking God to give us more. Like imagine what that means for people that we know and even people that we don't know. Imagine what it means for people who are walking in darkness that need to see light. Imagine what it means for people who are captive to addiction, who need to find freedom. Like imagine what it means for those who feel helpless and hopeless to find hope. This is what we hope would happen. And what we never want to be about is building our own kingdom. This is not what we're about. We want to be about the Great Commission where we get to go and tell people the greatest news ever made, that Jesus loves them. This I know. So we want to be able to be a part of that. And we, just want, and we can't do it alone. Man, not one group can do it alone. Not one person can do it alone. This is a collective effort for all of us to engage in the more that we believe God has for us. Can we do that? Think we can do that? Let's go. Let's do that. Yeah. So that's, that's message one. And so to close that out, let me, just, let me just pray for us as we engage on this new endeavor. God, we love the opportunity to be able to just reach into areas where you have us, you have opened for us, doors you've opened for us. God, we just, uh, man, we just come into it with open hands. And Lord, we believe that you want to work and we just have faith that you will. And God, just asking that through our efforts, people will come to know you, that more people would find what it means to have a full life in Jesus. And God, that we would be able to just uh, tell the story of what you've already done here in the lives of so many people at this church. But God, the stories that you want to change and the hearts you want to transform. God, we want to ask you boldly to move in power and to give us more. And God, we know that means more of the mission. We know that means more people knowing you. That means more light shine in places. We pray for the perimeter area. We pray for Belgium. We pray for homes in Milton and the surrounding regions where we all live. God, that you would give us more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for that. So uh, as we look at this, as we are in a series called More Today, man, man, one of the things that we all want, I think, is we want a full life. We want a full life. Like, like, we love the idea of full. Like, all of us, we love full. Think about this for a second. Back in 2007, the first iPhone was uh, rolled out, and, and the maximum storage you could buy was four gigabytes. Four gigabytes. Now, about six months ago, or, uh, yeah, about six months ago, I upgraded my phone from a 7 to a 10, and I got more than four gigabytes. I got... 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 10, 28, 128 gigabytes. What am I going to do with 128 gigabytes? What are you going to do with 128 gigabytes? But here's what I know. In another year, I'm going to have to be deleting photos and videos so I can load more stuff onto my phone because I fill it up, man. We fill it up. If we have space, we fill it up. Like, what about your time? We fill up our time. If someone comes up to you and they say, how are you doing? You're like, I'm so busy. And they're like, oh, man, not me. I've got a free day. You're thinking to yourself, well, you should feel guilty for not filling up your time. Because we love to fill up our time. What about our houses? Like, like we fill up our houses. You know, you may buy a house and you may have one room that's not completely furnished. So what you do is, you know, on, on trash day, you look out at your neighbors to see if they've taken anything out you can put in your living room. And at about two in the morning, you run out and bring it in because we fill up our houses and we end up with these things called junk drawers. Anybody got a junk drawer in their house? Come on. Like I used to have one. I started going through mine the other day and I'm pulling stuff out. Here's a coupon from 1999. Throw that away. 
pull out some earrings. Like, I stopped wearing those a long time ago. You know, we like full. Man, we fill things up. What about your gas tank? Don't you love a full gas tank? Any of you who are married, you ever get in your spouse's vehicle and it's on, you got to go somewhere and it's on empty? That ever happened to you? You, not me. You, not me. Does that ever happen? It's just like, what in the world's happening right now? Like, and if you're a parent, here's what you do. If you go on vacation, you know what you do? You go the night before and you fill up with gas, don't you? Because you need a full tank because you, you, like, I got four kids. I ain't got time to be stopping right before we leave town because that's a 20-minute ordeal and they want a snack. And then we don't even make it out of Atlanta before you have a bathroom break. Love a full tank of gas because when it just this feeling of satisfaction you get in it's full you can go anywhere you want to in the middle of the night if you need to make a Twinkie run you know your car is full of gas and you can jump in and go it doesn't matter just gives us this sense and we all want full lives we want our lives to be full we want a sense of satisfaction and contentment and purpose and joy and peace. We want full lives. We want to maximize this life that we've been given. And we see it all around us. We see it all around us. Think of all the slogans that marketers use. YOLO, only live once. Better maximize it. Nike, just do it. Just do it. You want to maximize your life. Arby's, we have the meats. That's really not one, but it's funny right there, isn't it? Like, we have slogans to tell us to go for the gusto from Schlitz back in the 70s, man. There's also all these productivity hacks we have to maximize our, our life. You know, and, and I think all of us probably on a certain level, we read books or we buy apps. And we're like, how can I be more effective? And it's not about time management anymore. It's about energy management. And how can I manage my energy in my day so that I can be most effective? And I've got all these slogans all over my office. You know, I've got one that says, take action. I've got Teddy Roosevelt's quote, inspirational quote. That's, you know, the, um, the credit belongs to the man in the arena, the one whose face is marred by blood and sweat and tears and all that. Man, we just want to be inspired. And, and so we... We try to maximize our productivity, and we all have bucket lists, too. Like these things we want to do before we die, places we want to go, things we want to experience, places we want to see. And we, and we try to maximize our life. But, but here's, here's the problem. Most of the time, we're trying to fill up our cup of life. We're trying to fill it up at broken fountains. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to fill up a cup at a water fountain there's only a little trickle coming out? And sometimes you can, you can fill it up a little bit and you say, that's good enough. That's good enough. Like what broken fountain have you been trying to find a full life at? Is it your job? Expecting that to bring you fulfillment and purpose and meaning only to find out it's just a, it's just a broken fountain. Is it, a, is it a relationship? I mean, is it a bank account? Is it a dream home? Is it a, is it a car? Is it something you can buy? Is it a trip? Is it a hobby? Like what broken fountain are you trying to find a full life? Hoping it can fill it up. And then you finally say, hmm, good enough. Good enough. And what I would say to you is there is more. There's more for you. And as we look at God's promise to us, God says that we can have life and have it to the full. Listen, you can have a full life. You can experience a full life. It can be part of your daily breathing so you can experience a full life. A life where you wake up in the morning and you know what your day is about. A life that no matter what comes at you, it's not going to knock you off guard. 
no matter what you face, no matter what high or low, that you can experience just this sense of settled confidence that I'm living the life I'm supposed to live. And it is good. So we're going to unpack that a little bit and in the rest of our time together. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. It's a passage that we've been looking at. Chapter, I'm going to start in verse 14. You can grab a paperback always and turn with us. Also, you can look on the app and we have the verses there. But this is a passage where we get this idea that God wants to give us more than we could ever ask or think. And this is actually a prayer by a guy named Paul. Paul, great missionary in the Bible. And he prayed this for, a, for the churches in, his, in this particular time period. But also it would be something he would pass on to us. So let's just take a look at this prayer. I'm going to read down through most through all of it, and then I'm going to circle back and make a couple of points before we leave today. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees, I pray before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, so he's pretty rich. We're going to talk about how rich God is. The riches of his glory, he will give you, grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being. So he wants us to have power here inside deep in our hearts so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that being rooted and grounded in love you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth length height and depth in other words all encompassing and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge now here's the thing funny thing about that how can you know something that is beyond your knowing how do you know something that surpasses knowledge there's some things that you know you just know them, don't you? Like deep in your soul, you just know them. You're not even sure how you know them sometimes. You just know them because it's about experiencing it. It's not just about knowing. It's about knowing. It's just that you, can ha- that you can know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, all the fullness of God. So Paul talks about us being full, and he starts out by talking about the riches of his glory, of God's glory. Um, and... Man, when you think about an inheritance, this is what we, we get. It's what's available to us. And so many times, if you get an inheritance, it happens later. Like some of you may be waiting on an inheritance from a parent because they're a millionaire and they're going to give you a lot of money. Who are you, by the way? Let's meet after service. But some of you may not like, nah, I don't have to worry about that. I've got, I don't have that pressure. Um, but some of you, man, you, you're going to have to wait. And, and here's what can happen. You start thinking, why don't you just, let's just enjoy it together now. That's what I'm thinking. Let's enjoy it together now. And so what Paul is saying is you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. And he says the riches of his glory. And so let's talk about what is he rich in? What is God rich in that we're going to get? Like what does God have stored up for us? He just wants to hand it over. Like what is that? It's his glory. So let's just kind of unpack what glory is. Glory is just a significant characteristic that brings you praise. Right? It's just something that distinguishes you from someone else. So we all have some form of glory with a little g. Like there's something about your life that distinguishes you from everybody else and it should bring you praise. People will say thank you for it. It may be part of your personality. It may be that you're very generous. It may be that you have a lot of faith. It may be that you're very inclusive. There's something about your life that people look at, man, that's awesome. Like thank you so much. So just as a quick example of that. Today there's two football games on. They're called the NFL Playoffs. And the teams that win today, they get to go play in this thing called the Super Bowl. And it's in Atlanta this year. And so there's going to be a lot of players play today. And we're going to see some of the players' glory, this distinguishing characteristic of their life, of their playing. 
And so for, let's just take one, one who's been in it a lot. It's a guy named Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady, he plays for the Patriots. Like what is the distinguishing characteristic that we're going to see this afternoon from Tom Brady? It is not a cheater. Come on. He's just his coach. There you go. He's a winner. And if you look back over history, love him, hate him, he wins. It's something that is a distinguishing characteristic of Tom Brady. So for God, what is his distinguishing characteristic? What is the thing that we get that we need in order to experience more from God? Best way to describe it is just through a story where we see it emerge. There's this guy named, Mo how many of you guys have heard of Moses? Right? Prince of Egypt, you know? Uh, Moses is in the, a guy that, he, he was a Jew, he was from the nation of Israel, and he was living out in the wilderness, he wasn't with his people, his people were back in Egypt, three million of them, and they were in slavery. And so Egypt depended on these three million Jews as their economic engine. They did everything, they were responsible for the GDP. And so God comes to Moses and says, hey, I want you to go tell Pharaoh, I want you to go tell the king, and you know him, Moses knew him, go tell him that I want my people to leave, that, that, that his economy is no longer dependent on these three million slaves. And Moses has this conversation with God. Evidently, there's some back and forth. Like, I don't know how much back and forth you get with God in that situation, because if it's me, I feel like I'd be like, yes, sir, but different story. And so finally, Moses is like, all right, I'm in. He says, but I need you to show me your glory. If I'm going to go and I'm going to tell people, and, I'm not gonna, and I've got to tell Pharaoh that he's got to let your people go, listen, I've got to have something with me, man. I've got to have some backing. I need you. I need to experience. Show me your glory. And here's what it says in this, in this story. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, my name, the Lord. So God's glory in its simplest terms is his goodness on our behalf. God's glory is the fact that he's good, and then he uses this title, this name for God, this distinguishing name, the Lord. That's a relational name. And what that means is, I've come for you. I'm here for you. My goodness is to be used on your behalf. Listen, this is the definition of faith. Like, the definition of faith isn't you just got to believe. Believe what? The definition of faith is you have to believe that God is good, and he has good things for you. This is first and foremost the foundation for how we experience more of God. As we look throughout the Bible, if you look at the story of Adam and Eve, when they cashed in their full life for some, some fruit, the first thing that happened that caused them to go down the road of destruction is they stopped believing that God was good and had good things for them. First temptation was to say, hey, he's not good. This changes everything about how we live. It changes how we see the world. It changes how we experience God. So, so think of it like this. I think all of us, have, I think this is going to be a universal example. How many of you, when your parents called your full name, you knew something, something bad was, had happened? They called your full name, you're like, what in the world did I do? Like Debbie calls my full name, I'm like, I said something inappropriate, I'm sorry. Like before I even get there, I, I'm sorry. Right, when, my, when my dad would call our, my full name, I knew, I knew, I knew that I was in trouble. Like, I knew, so it caused me to experience that moment differently because I was anticipating something bad. But if he just called me and says, hey, Stephen, come here, like, I was anticipating something good. 
So when we believe that God is good and he has good things for us, it's going to change how we experience him. It's going to change how we experience a day when we wake up. Like imagine waking up every day believing that God was good. And no matter what happened, whether you understood it or not, whether you could explain it or not, good or bad, you believed that God was good. Listen, this is fundamental to how we experience more of God is to hang on tenaciously to the truth that God is good. We have to believe that God is good. This is the riches that are at our disposal to experience more. Then Paul goes on and he says that um, he may dwell in your heart through faith. He says in your inner being that, that he may dwell in your heart through faith. You see, our heart is what inherits the more of God. Our heart is what inherits the more of God. It's an internal movement. You know, it's, it's something that happens on the inside. It's something that sinks deep into our heart and changes us and transforms us. You see, it's not about behavioral change. It's not about that. See, many people believe that, that Christianity is a movement about morality. Many people believe that Christianity is a movement centered around morality. We talk about things like Judeo-Christian ethics. And morality is simply a behavior code. But Jesus came to change our heart. He came to do something deeper than just our behavior. Because what ends up happening, and it's happening in our culture now, is if you have one moral code that disagrees with another moral code, one of those says that that's in, that, that code is immoral. And we try to force behavior. And it's not, that, that's not the movement. Jesus came to change hearts. It's a transformation that people need. It's not behavioral modification. And so Paul says that this should sink deep into your heart, that it would change us. See, the heart, is, it's the essence of who we are. It's the essence of who we are. It's how we make decisions. It's what motivates us. Now, now we've all known, let's say, married couples that stay married, but technically they're married, but... Emotionally, they're not. It gets to the heart of the matter. And when something captures your heart, it does get some of your behavior. But it's not commanded, it's given. So if, if a spouse has captured your heart, you give them your affection. If a hobby captures your heart, you give it your time. <laughs> if a story captures your heart, you give it your attention. If a cause captures your heart, you give it your money. Think about it this way. Let's say for the parents that were in the room that we just looked at, let's say you have a 10-year-old boy named Scott. And tomorrow, or Tuesday, he goes to school. And while Scott's at school, you get a phone call from the principal and says, hey, Scott's in a little trouble. Could you come down here and let's talk about it? So you get to school and you find out that Scott has stolen some money from a teammate. And, and, and when you walk in to the office to talk to Scott, one of the first questions you're going to ask, why did you do that? What was going on in your heart that was driving your behavior? Jesus says things like, what comes out of your mouth emanates from the heart. So to follow Jesus is to have our heart changed. To have more of him is to have more of our heart captured by his goodness towards us. This is the more that we should experience of God. 
says he wants him to dwell in your heart through faith, faith just believing that God is good. Now, the word for dwell there is, is interesting because here's what happens when you dwell somewhere. Like, you move in and stay. You ever have somebody come over your house and they're not staying? And you don't want them to stay? You know, come over for dinner like, oh, it's getting about 10 o'clock. I think you need to leave. Like, this happens to me on, uh, on occasion. So we have a leadership development program, and sometimes interns will come to live with us. And they'll come live with us. And, they have, and there's just there's house rules. I walk in, I talk to them about certain things. If they're guys, they get one set of rules. If they're girls, they don't get any. But if they're guys now, they get one set of rules. Here's how you're going to, hey, and here's how long you get to stay. Because on this day, you're moving out. So go ahead and prepare yourself. You can't stay here. You can stay somewhere. It just is not here. I love you, but you can't stay here. It's temporary. They're not moving in forever. But when we see the word dwell, God wants to move in. Like he moves in and he's staying. And it's good. That Jesus wants to move into our lives, into our hearts to change us and transform us so that we can experience him each and every day. And, and God's goodness looks like love to us. Man, God's goodness looks like love to us. That's how it's manifested is that he, he is good. He wants to experience his goodness by experiencing love. And he wants to do it up close. He wants to do it up close. Have you met, ever met anybody who's a close talker? They just kind of get in your face and they talk really close and you take a step back and they just move in. And you're thinking, how in the world did you eat garlic for breakfast, bro? I don't know what's happening right now. But then you have people who are close to you and they want to tell you something and they'll just kind of come whisper in your ear and you don't, you just like turn your head their way just so you can hear better. This is how close God wants to be and he wants to express it through his love. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. This is what happens when a heart is changed. We love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are, to, also are to love one another. This is how we experience God, is that we love one another. So God comes in, he changes us from the inside out. He changes some of the rough edges of our personality. Some of you who have begun to follow Christ, you know, wow, if you knew me before, man, here's the things I would say, here's the things that I would do. He helps us to be kinder to people. He changes the edges that we have. He wants, makes us want to help people. I could go through a list of things that I'm different now and I'm still working on, but that I'm different now because of the work that God's done in my life. And this is the more that we have. And he does it and expresses it through love, that we experience the love of God. Now, clearly, the greatest expression of love came when Jesus died for us. Like at the cross, when Jesus died for us so that we could have a relationship with God, so he could prove his goodness towards us, so that we could experience having a full life, was when he died for us, placed in a grave, and then resurrected. Like this is how we experience love. And because we've experienced that love, we express love to other people. Listen, because we experience love, we express love to other people. That's why we serve people. And it's why we want to go and tell people about Jesus. It's why we believe and follow the Great Commission. Because we have experienced God's love. We want to go and express that to other people. And then Paul closes out this particular part of the prayer in verse 19 when he says, You may be filled with the fullness of God. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. And this just means total domination. That all of our lives will be dominated by God. Listen, there are times when our lives are dominated by things that are bad for us. You ever been dominated by rage or anger at somebody? Maybe it was yesterday coming down, four, or Friday coming down 400. 
You ever been dominated by something like that? Man, just made you grit your teeth, vein bulged out in your forehead. You're like, oh, I can't believe this just happened. What's going on? Sometimes we're dominated by maybe anxiety. When we wake up in the morning, there's these thoughts of the day, and then maybe that leads to some type of depression. We're dominated by it. It colors everything that we see. Everything seems to have a cloud over it. We're dominated by it. Some of it may be an addiction for you, and you're dominated by this desire for that drink or for that pill or for whatever, to look at that, whatever that addiction is, we get dominated by it. And what Paul is saying is that when we have more of God, that's what we're dominated by. That's what has the most for us. And we believe that the more for us, man, as you lean into the more that God has for you, he will fill you up. As you lean into the more where you're equipped and as we go through equipped together and we're surrounded by other people who want us to win and want us to succeed, we believe that we'll experience more. We believe that as we launch out into prayer and fasting, that is one way that we open the doors to experience a fountain that works. And that's God himself who will fill us up in a way that we can never explain or imagine, that we would experience contentment and purpose and satisfaction beyond what we could ever explain. But we have to be totally dominated, right? It can't be just a part of us. It has to be all of us because we're pretty good at compartmentalizing and giving God pieces of our life, especially the pieces that we identify as not working. But all of us have certain pieces that we want to hang on to. Like, hey, God, I'll take this one. You can have those. We just hold on because we, and when we hold on to a part of our life, what we're communicating is that we don't think God is good because we don't trust him with that part of our life. You know, there's a story from the Roman Empire as Christianity was making its way across the Roman Empire. There was an emperor named Constantine. Constantine is famous historically for kind of uh, making Christianity okay, for kind of removing the stigma and making it the religion of the empire. Now, his methods of doing this were a little bit suspect. So what Constantine did is he declared Christianity as the religion of the empire. And he, in essence, wanted to force everyone to become a Christian. Kind of counterproductive, counterintuitive to the Great Commission. But one of the things that he did was Constantine, because he wanted everybody to be a Christian, he, he forced his soldiers to be baptized he thought that was the thing that made them a Christian. Not the heart transformation, not the piece where our motives are changed, where our affections are changed, but by forcing them to go through an act. And so Constantine has all of his soldiers in this ceremony, as legend has it, baptized. So they're jocked up fully. They got on their full armor, they're clanking around. And as they walk into the water, right before they're baptized, they do this one thing. And they take their swords and they rip it out of his sheaths. And you can hear the metal clanking as they hold it up. And they held their sword up. So as they were baptized, their swords were held out of the water. So all of them went under except their swords. And this was their way of symbolically saying, I'm going to keep control of this. I want to be sure that I get to keep fighting, that I get to keep going to battle. And, and, and God can have every part of me, but, but he can't have my sword I know better when it comes to this. And if we're honest, there's lots of areas of our life that we kind of hold out of the water. You know, there's lots of areas that we hold on to. You know, what is it for you? For a lot of people, it's their wallet. And we just want to hold our wallet up. And God, I'll, I'll be a little generous, but not too much. And I want to be sure I plan for my future. And I'm in control of my finances. I think one thing the last quarter has taught us is we are not in control of our finances. 
Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe there's been so much hurt there. You're just done. You just want to check out. There's no forgiveness. You're bitter. You're just holding it out because you just want to hang on to it because, because it makes you feel comfortable. When God's like, I have more for you. I want you to experience forgiveness. I want you to have freedom. For you, maybe it's your job. You know, maybe you're in a job and you're just really trying to climb the corporate ladder, but maybe you're just, you're trying to hold on to it and be in control of it. It's become an idol and you're expecting it to fill you up and it's a broken fountain. You know, we all have areas like that. What is it for you? What is it for you? And God has more for you. You have to believe that he's good and you have to give him everything. It has to be total domination by the love of Jesus in our inner being. Let's pray together. So, God, to think about your ultimate expression of love and goodness for us by sending Jesus to die for us, it's hard for us to, hard for us to even really wrap our minds around. And God, that you loved us so much, you loved us more than we could ever love anybody else. And God, you call us to love people because of how much you loved us. And God, that we'd be a people that just expects you to do more, that expects a full life from you, that we don't settle for broken fountains that can't satisfy us. We don't settle for good enough. God, that we press into the more that you have for us, wherever it, whether it's a risk we need to take or more faith that we need to have or giving you areas of our life that feel uncomfortable. And God, for those areas that we're holding on to, you just make them really clear. And God, if for some reason we're not seeing them, help someone else to tell us what we're holding on to. And just point out what we've made an idol and what we've expected to fill us up, but it's only a broken fountain. God, we're grateful for the fact that you've changed us as a church over the last year, that we have experienced a new day. And God, we just pray that we want to see more people experience Jesus. We want in our own community, God, and around the world. We want people to experience what it means to have the have life and have it to the full. We just pray for more hearts to be changed and transformed. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.